hear now uh, the word of God from Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, and then we're going to skip over to um, verses 13 through 15. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flows out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it divides and becomes four branches. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Most, if not all of us, are familiar with what we would consider traditional spiritual disciplines. Practices that can bring us to an encounter with our God. Practices like prayer, study, worship, and fasting. This Lent, we are stretching ourselves to consider seeking Jesus through the ordinary practices of our everyday lives. So you can understand how relieved I am that this room didn't just clear at the mention of physical labor. But here we are today opening ourselves up to encountering God through the labor of our bodies. As we continue our journey to the cross of Christ this Lent, Barbara Brown Taylor has been a faithful guide in how we can encounter our Lord in our everyday surroundings. As she asks us to contemplate our physical labor as an avenue for encounter, she recounts how a severe winter storm gave her pause to consider the effects of physical labor on the soul. Dividing the work at their country farm, Barbara and her husband, Ed, had to haul water from the manual outdoor pump. They had to make frequent trips to the barn to break through the ice in the animals' drinking water. They had to light fires and keep them going, set up kerosene heaters for the outdoor dogs. They had to nail quilts over doors and windows so they could keep warm by the fireplace in the living room. They had to collect candles and flashlights to navigate after dark. And most importantly, they had to keep the animals, including the two of them, fed and watered. It was during those four very long days that she decided that a power outage would make a great spiritual practice. She says, 
Never mind giving up meat or booze for Lent. For a taste of real self-denial, just turn off the power. Or better yet, ask someone else to flip the switch for you and then have them cut that wire for good measure and just see if the phrases such as the power of God and the light of Christ sound any different to you. A winter event and the physical labor it demanded was her impetus for staying tuned to the grace of physical labor and its benefits as a spiritual practice. In her book, An Altar in the World, Taylor says, If all life is holy, then anything that sustains life has holy dimensions too. The difference between washing windows and resting in God can be a simple decision. Choose the work, and it becomes your spiritual practice. Spraying vinegar and water on the panes, you baptize the glass. Rubbing away the film, ye repent ye of your sins. Polishing the glass, you let in the light. Making beds reminds you that life-giving activities do not require much space. Hanging laundry on the line offers you a chance to fly prayer flags disguised as bath towels and underwear. No task is too menial to serve as a path. I believe that my Grandma Rogers knew something about this grace. Grandma was a laborer, and I never realized it until recently. Grandma owned no labor-saving devices, no modern conveniences. Grandma washed and dried her dishes by hand, and she fried her chicken in her one cast-iron skillet, No air fryer on grandma's kitchen counter. There was no Roomba for my grandma. She swept her whole house with an old bristle broom and a dustpan. She washed her dirty laundry out by hand in the kitchen sink or the bathtub and hung them out to dry on the clothesline. Grandma had a very large garden that she kept. She tilled it, the whole garden, with a garden hoe and the work of her own back. She watered that garden by carrying buckets of water up from the creek. Grandma Rogers even harvested her own walnuts from the tree that stood in her yard. Yes. My grandma was a laborer, and she was one of the most spiritual people I have ever known. Grandma walked closely with Christ, and looking back with adult eyes, I can see that is because she sought him daily in and through the ordinary of her life. But long before Barbara Brown Taylor and even Grandma Rogers there were others who saw that temporal 
and spiritual labor go hand in hand. The early fathers of the Orthodox Christian faith knew that physical labor could have a powerful influence on the soul. I recently have become familiar with the writings of one of those modern saints. Saint Theophan the Recluse captures this idea in his book, The Path of Salvation. The Bible tells us that we are created in the image of God. Our brothers and sisters of the Orthodox faith take that explanation to the next level when they teach that the human soul is Trinitarian in the image of the divine Trinity who created it. This Trinity is seen in three aspects or capabilities, usually referred to as mind, heart, and will, or thinking, feeling, and acting. They believe that the effort of physical labor can be a great help in developing the strength and inclination to labor spiritually. Therefore, an orthodox Christian education must be designed to engage all three capabilities of the soul, not just the thinking or intellectual part. Thus, the whole soul, heart, mind, and will is given the opportunities to come to the knowledge of God. Now, I know that some of you, um, some of us, here in this room, might have attended parochial school as a child or teen. In a Christian Orthodox elementary or secondary school, the curriculum is designed to give right formation of the will or acting part of the soul. Students find great satisfaction when they discover they, they can do something that brings delight and amazement to others. The curriculum of an orthodox education attempts to capitalize on this natural, positive inclination by providing opportunities to serve others through simple chores and larger service projects. A few times in the course of a week, students may be asked to put down the books and perform a cleaning task, thus resulting in the whole school being cleaned from top to bottom in a matter of minutes. Often, they spend a small portion of a day tackling a larger service project, something like gardening or construction. The teachers, administrators, and parents work alongside and with the students, teaching and showing by word and example. They believe that becoming confident in the skills and abilities of physical labor contributes to a healthy respect for themselves and others that lead to even greater efforts to the glory of God. But even more importantly, it is their belief that developing a love of physical labor is related to developing a willingness to labor spiritually. Today's scripture reading ends with the announcement of the first divine job that God assigned to man. 
to till the earth and keep it, to labor. When we labor, we have the chance to bear the reality of the universe in our flesh and bones. We have the choice to turn the hard work of physical labor into soul work. May the practice of physical labor serve as a sacred path to prayer and connection to the divine more. May the labor of our bodies serve as a reminder that our spiritual labor is our service to God as followers of Jesus Christ. No matter your occupation, you, my friends, are laborers, kingdom builders, called by Christ. And when you show up to do that kingdom building work, you will find that Christ is there with you.